0: Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's Mother's Day weekend, and I don't think I can stress it enough that all mums really want is a break this year. So as you tune in today, I hope it's from a comfortable spot and you're able to put the mental load down, if only for a brief moment. Today's show is loaded with great advice and information from amazing women to help just a little bit. First, I'm joined by Denise Chand from The Sacred Space Coaching, who is here for the fifth in a 12-part series on getting out of a rut and living the life you want. Today, Denise walks through some of the things that hold us back in life, how to stop undermining our own success, and how to identify self-sabotage so we can stop it in its tracks. And Brody is in for a twofer again this week. First, we take a look at what's new in entertainment, which includes a look at Petite Mama, a darling from TIFF this year, the takedown on Netflix, the second season of Gentleman Jack on Crave, and Peacock's comedy series Killing It. Also up later in the show is Anne's interview with Into the Weeds filmmaker Jennifer Bockwell, which tells the powerful story of Dwayne Lee Johnson, who took on corporate giant Bear. Earth Month may be over, but we're going to keep sharing businesses that are trying to affect real change and not just greenwash things for profit. Lauren Barnes has co-founded Last 20 Pavement with her older brother, Lucas, a social enterprise that upcycles plastic waste into sustainable pavement. Last 20 might be just the solution we need to clear up plastic bag waste forever. Lauren joins me to share how. Here comes the sun with Karen Doradea from the Daily Hive, who joins me to break down a recent trip to Miami that highlighted the stellar culinary scene there, as well as a surprising number of outdoor activities that gets travelers in touch with nature. Always changing and adapting, Miami is the perfect destination for sun-starved Canadians looking to escape right now. Finally, the incredible Kelly Boss joins me to discuss emotional flatlining, something many are seeking, but why we should avoid it at all costs. Kelly always has great advice for those looking to keep their mental health in check in today's chaotic world. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region
1: has been a time
2: someone
0: For the past few months, the Sacred Space coaching has been helping to get us out of a rut. Today, I'm joined by Denise Chand, a certified cognitive behavioral and relationship coach, unstuck expert, author, and co-founder of The Sacred Space Coaching. Together with her co-founder, Jennifer John, The Sacred Space has been helping women across North America make empowering shifts to get unstuck in life and relationships and become unstoppable. Today, in the fifth of 12 episodes this year, we're going to tackle the topic of self-sabotage and more importantly, how to stop the cycle. Welcome back to the show, Denise. Thanks for having me back. I love it. Thank you. So we've talked about self-sabotage a lot, actually, over the last few months. And what I really would like to dive in today, though, is sort of the reasons why people are holding themselves back. So what are some of, some of the reasons that we cling to, uh, to that prevent us from going on to live the life we want to?
2: The main reasons are fear. And fear comes in many forms, many reasons why we're fearful. So there is also the feeling of feeling you're not worthy enough for whatever, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a career, um, even your health. Like it, if you want to lose a weight, weight, whatever it is, it's that reason there is the, um, there's this automatic um thinking that we have, that we go back to past, our past. So if it's a past relationship, if it's a past experience we've had with respect to career, our finances, our health, whatever it is, it goes back to that. Um, And not, it, we need control. So we, some sort of control in our life. And if we if we want to step out to do something, whether it's again, it's a relationship, it's a new job or finances or, or personal health, whatever it is, where we're reluctant to step out because we want to keep some sort of control, some sort of boundary that we can cu- we can have over this situation, whatever the situation is. And hence, if. It leads to that fear, fear of failure, and then automatically we're sabotaging our our happiness in whatever area that we are attempting to find progress and wellness in.
0: So one of the things you say, though, is that, like, you know, for example,
2: people might have
0: feelings of unworthiness or low self-esteem. And so when that happens, um, really, it sounds like there's some deeper work to be done before we can move on to, you know. Uh, getting out of a rut we have to address sort of all of those things regarding our self-esteem is that right
2: absolutely with our clients um that we that come to us regarding self-esteem what there is it is like I always say it's an iceberg um, effect you have the top layer you show I have no self-esteem I don't feel worthy enough but what are the deeper layers inside of that so obviously you cannot Go and try to find a solution to something unless you actually go to the main cause and you have to deep dig, keep digging, 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 digging to get to the cause, the main root of where that low self-esteem is coming from. And again, a lot of them comes from childhood. A lot of them come from our past experiences that attach itself to us and we bring them forth as we keep progressing into life. And hence, it disturbs our um, or disrupt our mental wellness. And this is why we are doing this um, 12-month journey on self-sabotage. It's actually, we're here to teach everyone to become aware of yourself. And it's so fitting that we're just, you know, we have this um, from May 2nd to May 8th uh, Mental um, Health Week here in Canada. And I know I heard in the U.S. it's the month. And every day should be, we pay attention to ourselves, to our mind self-care your mind it's your mental wellness
0: yeah i think so often we look for the quick fix that thing that's just gonna make all of our troubles and worries go away uh but really we have to do the deeper work uh first before we can get to those solution uh that you guys help people find to get out of a rut right like there are solutions and they can be easier but first
2: you have to address the deeper issues It is. And you know, and that's exactly it. You have to go deep. You have you have to face yourself. And that's the best way I can say it. You have to face yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to free yourself when you're trying to dig deep to see what's underneath there. And you know, we all have the answer within ourselves. We say, you know, I don't know why I do this. I don't know why I do that. But if we take if we stop for a moment and we Look deep within, and we self-reflect. And like I use the terminology, you face yourself. You look. You will know why you do that. You will know why you will sabotage a relationship when dating and meeting somebody new. You will know why you will not apply for that job that that you very well do have the skill set and you can do it. But you know why you'll find every possible excuse on this earth why not you know not to do it. But again, it requires a mindset to say. I'm ready to fight for me. I'm ready to put on the gloves and I'm ready to fight for me and look at myself, be honest with myself and see what's in there and what's causing this be to act like this and behave like this.
0: And I, I want to remind people, too, that, you know, that this is selfless, not selfish, ish. Because by helping yourself, you're helping all of the people around you that you interact with on a daily basis as well. So this is really important. So let's talk about some of the ways then we can stop the cycle. You have a a, a variety of things listed.
2: So let's talk about some of those things. Well, okay. So first of all, we have to, again, I want to go back to what you did. It is a selfless thing because you have to be compassionate with yourself. You have to have that compassion that you would have for a friend you'll have for yourself. And hence, you help yourself, you help everyone around you, everyone around you. So and we cannot change what has happened um, to us, but we can change our perception and our outlook and how we look at things. And that's the first thing is that, you know, we've all, every one of us have had things happen, again, whether it's career-wise, health-wise, you know, relationship, friendship, whatever it is, so but we can change our outlook our perspective and things so it's like it's having compassion for yourself first of all it's it's key you have to I always use a word and I understand honestly you've got to pay attention to your thought process so once you start paying attention to your thought and like your reaction to something it, it and you see you know if I Am I reacting to negatively? If you realize that you're, you are reacting negatively and then you know that that that's an indication of something that's there and you have the ability to change it. Instead of finding fault in everything and everyone, try to see the light, the brighter side of it. Again, another way to come out of this is um, identify that situation, identify that, that, that inner voice, that self-critic, identify it because once you identify it, you you disempower it. You don't, you no longer give power to it. Again, another way to help yourself through this is through affirmation. Taking time to read. Like uh, you know, you find yourself going into a rabbit hole. Pull yourself out, take deep breaths. We um we need to go outside, we need to be active, you know, go outside to open our, our view, our limit, where we we lock ourselves in this little tunnel vision. Just go outside and enjoy nature. It's I know it's easy said and done, but it's all one step at a time to get you to mental wellness.
0: I think if there's something that we've talked about a lot over the last couple of years, you know, since the pandemic came in, is that whole need for to be kind to yourself, to be gentle, to give yourself a little grace. And so I hope people will actually do that by listening to these uh, interviews with you and Jennifer uh, every month and, and go to what she said, talk to, re- to read the blog posts and watch the videos, get caught up. But also you're running a 21-day challenge that anybody can jump into at any time. This is not a, you have to start at a certain day of the month. You can jump in right this second if you want and, and
2: start that shift, right? Yes, anybody can jump into it. And again, this 21 day challenge, it is to bring awareness and to pay attention to yourself. So the ultimate purpose for this 21 day challenge that we keep and we're we're adding more to it is again, to bring awareness to yourself and to help your mental, like your, your, you know, your mental wellness, to be able to To recognize what's going on, recognize your thought pattern, the negative thoughts, everything. It's just one step at a time. That's all we require is one step at a time and changing our perspective. And that's what this 21 Day Challenge is about.
0: Perfect. All right. So if people want to connect with you, uh, where can they go?
2: So they can go to um, our Facebook group. So first of all, our Facebook group uh, under the Sacred Space 21 Day Challenge. So it's that sacred space um 21 day challenge we're on there and then also our website you can get to us is um that sacred space.com. and once you go on there you'll have all our information and how to reach us
0: all right incredible denise thank you for joining me again today it's
2: always lovely to have you here thank you so much for having me
0: Brody is joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies. And Anne, what have you got for
4: us this week? A lot of strange stuff. Some great, some not so great. But we'll start with the great. Céline Schiama's um, Petit Maman, which was a huge hit at TIFF, is finally in the theaters. And uh, they're two sisters who play best friends in this film. And, And they look alike. And that becomes a plot point so it's pretty interesting and it's very subtle and beautiful and nature based so these little uh, one of the little girls um, comes to her grandmother's house after she's died with her mother to empty it and she runs into this little girl in the forest and they begin building a tree house and having fun and having adventures and and sharing what's going on in their lives um, and they don't give much thought to the fact that they look alike so we, it is revealed to us later, and it's quite stunning. It's not what you might think at all. And um, there's a, there's an element of mysticism almost to it, and certainly naturalism. So it, I think Skiami really outdoes herself on this. It's just the loveliest film about childhood. It's not sweet. It's not, you know, artificial. It is so authentic and real. And hopeful.
0: Well, hopeful is something I I, I like that theme of hopeful. Um, all right, uh, tell me about the takedown because you have some pretty strong opinions about that
4: one. I do. Omar Sy is just fantastic. I think everyone's got a crush on him, and he co-stars with Laurent Lafitte, Laurent Lafitte, in uh, in the takedown. So they they're detectives in Paris who worked together once before and are reunited for this case for this strange murder, motorcyclist who is a suspect in a crime. Um, (laughs) He's driving his motorcycle in the mountains. A car is chasing him. It bangs into, it shoots him in the leg first, whoever's driving. He bangs into a bridge, falls over, is electrocuted on wires, and then chopped in half by a train. Very strange. But the investigation into this leads to something really huge in terms of, of French security. Um, but what I did not like is the one detective, not Omar, um, who who ogles women, he gropes a stripper, you know, he speaks down to them and uh, and a suspect in the case is in the shower, he breaks in and he watches her. It's just revolting. But, you know, Omar sigh almost more than makes up for it. So, And it's a good story. And that's on Netflix now, right? That's right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Tell me about Gentleman Jack. I, I I actually I you sent the trailer. I I didn't
4: realize this was a series. As a matter of fact, I didn't either. I had no clue. So yeah, I I was pretty interested because I really like Saran Jones. She's a terrific British actress and she plays uh Anne Lister, a 1930s uh personality and trailblazer and pioneer. Uh she was gay. She was nominally married to her lover and uh people either accepted them or didn't accept them they took no uh trouble to hide the, to hide the relationship anyway she's also a business whiz and she believes that if they back trains and invest in trains um industry will come to yorkshire and it'll be really good for the economy so she pushes this through and at first the men are kind of like I don't get this. What is a woman doing with all this knowledge and, and and brainy uh stock market ideas? And then they come to really embrace her. Um and she she she's a polymath. She knows so much about everything. And they had this kind of party trick, she and her and her wife. Uh, they say, well, you know, she's she's very curious. She dissected a baby once in Paris. It was dead. <laughs> it's just very funny. But and it's witty as can be. Saran Jones is so defined as this woman she wears almost funereal garb and she's so forthright in the way she walks and carries herself um so you know she's she's inspirational you can be whoever you want to be and succeed
0: yeah it looked like an excellent series and so that might be my next uh my next watch uh all right tell me about killing it
4: Oh, it is so funny and bizarre. You know, Craig Robinson, he's a he's a TV uh, comedian. He's been in a lot of series. He's also in a game commercial. <laughs> no, why? But anyway, he plays a fellow who is underemployed. He has a, a, a wife who's estranged. She's living with somebody. She's deaf and they have a, a daughter. So he's really in trouble. He has a dream. He wants to set up a saw palmetto berry farm. And because the uh, chemical that you can extract from the soft palmetto berry, helps men who have trouble urinating. So he's worked on his pitch for 20 years. He takes it to several banks. No one will will do it. He needs money fast. He takes an Uber to another interview. The girl is Australian. She's kind of cuckoo, crashes the car, runs into the swamp, kills a python, and throws it in the back seat with him. It cl- clamps onto his hand. He uses his nail gun on it, but nails them together. So they become python hunters. Now that's a program in Florida where you can hunt pythons because there are just too darn many of them now and be rewarded by the government. So it, it sounds kind of gross. It is hysterical. The characters in it are just wonderful. So then they go into the competition, the Python Challenge 2016. They have a lot of enemies in it. And it's just so uplifting, <laughs> believe it or not. No pythons were harmed making it. Well, that's good to know. Uh, so where, where can we catch that? That's on Peacock. So watch out for it. It's, it's on already. I missed it. But wow, I'm just totally hooked. So it's thirty minute up, and I gotta ask you, what are your what are your thoughts about Netflix's plans to add in commercials? I'm not too happy with it. No one else is either, I'm sure. But I want them to survive. They employ so many people in terms of filmmaking, TV production, you know, their staffing and everything. I want them to get through this, but I wish there was another way that would be. I'm sure that's going to put a lot of people off. Oh, for sure, and it feels
0: to me like you know we're going right back to where we started with uh, you know commercials in our program, right?
4: <laughs> right, which is what we're trying to get away from when we go to streamers. Yeah, it's crazy. So, and, but but, and what if what if the others follow suit? I mean, it's ah! yeah, it's 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 crazy to me. Um, all
0: right, well, let's hope they find a better way. And thank you so much. Um, all of these plus more. Are on she said talk.com. You give them a review, your thoughts, and where people can find them. So, um, week after week, you can find Anne there. Thank you so much for
4: joining me today, Anne. Thank you, Candace. Talk to you soon.
0: Earth Day and Earth Month may be behind us, but that doesn't mean we can shift our focus. Sustainability is an everyday pursuit, which is why I'm so happy to have my next guest join me. Lauren Barnes is a 22-year-old female entrepreneur that has co-founded Last20 with her older brother Lucas. Last20 is a social enterprise that upcycles plastic waste into sustainable pavement. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, So I I think I need to disclose to people how I found you. I came across you on, uh, on TikTok of all places and you had a video that went viral and I think that's largely because we're all seeking out ways to be more sustainable and embracing businesses like yours. So how did this come to be, this this sort of taking plastic and making it into pavement?
5: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. We love TikTok. We love how you can go viral on there. But um, the biggest mission that Lucas and I are really trying to tackle is our plastic waste crisis. Um, There's been so much news about... You know there's gonna be more plastic in our fish than oceans by 2050 and we were just seeing how there wasn't a lot of solutions kind of taking this waste and turning it into something good or you know using it in a different way and so as we were doing research for our solution we came came across um, a specific type of plastic um, which is low density polyethylene so this is number four plastic and that's often found in plastic bags like really thin film plastics and we were just seeing that there was no end uses or cases for this type of material, simply because a lot of recycling programs can't do anything with it. It gets tangled in the machinery, and really, it's just either being incinerated or entering our natural environment. So we were looking to see, you know, what are some ways that we can take this waste and make it into something, you know, more productive. Um, and as we were doing research, we actually found that in India, they've been using plastic roads for almost, I think it's almost two decades now. Um, and because their plastic waste crisis is significantly worse than ours and they're in a warmer climate. So as we were doing research, we found that North America hadn't really explored this type of solution. Um, so that was kind of where all of our research stemmed from. And then we ended up finding an engineer who did his PhD in plastic pavement, Dr. Sina-Varamini. Um, and he's been essentially an advisor for us and has helped us find the right type of plastic that's safe doesn't contain any harmful, harmful chemicals like PVC, um, and just making sure that it can be incorporated into the mix design. So that was some of the nuance that we had to kind of go through, um, and some of the challenges that we had to do to do in order to, you know, complete our very first pilot, which we did um, in the fall of last year, September. And now it's been about six months. Since that pilot's been done, so that's kind of what our TikTok was on. We wanted to show the progress because this is something that's going to have to take time. And we just want un- people to understand that there's a lot of nuance to what it is that we're doing, and it's primarily research and development-based.
0: And how do these roads, or how are these these roads expected to hold up? Uh, I mean, India's climate is quite different than Canada's. So do you have sort of data on that, how it's going to hold up in, to a Canadian winter, for example?
5: Mm-hmm. Well, the interesting thing is that plastic actually has the same properties as the bitumen which is this crude oil that's in the the pavement mix design um so it actually binds a lot better and in theory it should make roads last longer and what we've been seeing just with the research in India is that these solutions have been helping out a lot more but yeah we've only had you know data for 6 months and we've actually been fortunate enough to get into the MyTax research program so we'll be partnering with Carleton University which is um, the capital of Canada will be partnering with them to have a PhD student essentially, um, you know, collect data and do research on our solution for the next four to six months. And then our kind of vision here is to publish findings with our solution and ultimately just move the industry forward. You know, is it going to be a bad idea? We don't know. At least we'll have that data. Or is it going to be something really good and we can take this waste and turn it into sustainable infrastructure? That's another thing that we're looking for.
0: And had, you've had to deal with a lot of hurdles as you, as
5: you build this business. It's interesting because a lot of people just assume that the government's going to help you. You're going to have like so many people want to invest in your business and stuff, but that's often not the case. One of the things that we've had to do, and I've been fortunate, obviously, I'm 22 years old. So I just, I was using this business throughout university. So I've been able to leverage a lot of those resources. But I think for a lot of people that aren't kind of Using their university or other, you know, government programs to get funding and stuff. It can be really challenging, but I think doing pitch competitions and things like that, it's always great opportunities for you to perfect your pitch and really just have your idea explained clearly because the clearer that you can bring it down in the most concise way that you can say it, I think a lot more people are going to be sold and more likely to want to invest in you and help you do stuff. But I think now with the MyTax research program, we're kind of taking it from like an academic perspective we want to you know use our solution um, you know through institutions but yeah eventually we would like to partner with government and you know potentially get some funding and do some contracts here as well in Canada
0: So the news obviously for the climate seems pretty grim uh, but as somebody who is now working f- towards solutions how do you
5: feel about the future? Um, I'm very hopeful. Um, At my university as well, I was part of um, a group called Enactus, and Enactus is a global organization where university students from around the world essentially develop social enterprises, and then you go compete to see who made the most social, environmental, and financial impact. Um, So it's been amazing to see a lot of these different businesses being founded in all these different countries across the world. It gives me hope to know that there's a lot of young students and academics um, essentially bringing together a lot of these solutions, and my university, we actually won second place at the Enactus World Cup last fall as well. So that was a huge accomplishment um, for our university. And um, I guess I can say another one of the enterprises as well that we competed with, are SUDS, um, founded by my friend Marissa. Um, essentially, they're solid form shampoo, conditioner, and body wash tablets to eliminate the need for those little mini plastic bottles. So They've been trying to you know, get into hotels and stuff, just little things like that, finding solutions that don't need plastic, I think, you're tackling the plastic crisis from a completely different perspective than how we are. You know, we're taking the waste that already exists and upcycling it and they're preventing it to begin to begin with. So I think I'd encourage anyone who wants to start a business to, when you're looking at a problem, there's probably so many different ways that you can tackle it and then you might be solving another problem in itself. Um, so it's just really interesting to see social entrepreneurship have such a big role. And I think people need to start thinking in this kind of light as well.
0: Incredible. All right. I want people to be able to find you and connect with you and obviously keep up with you on all your social channels. So where can
5: they do that? So you can follow us primarily on TikTok. That's like one of our favorite platforms. So at last twenty pavement, that's L A S T two Zero and then pavement at the end. Um, same at handle for Instagram, and then you can also check out our website at wwwlast 20ca And if you have any inquiries or you're interested, you know, in getting involved in this, you can email us at info at last20.ca. All right,
0: incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lauren.
1: Thank you
5: for having me. My
1: my can pain. But
3: More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 1059The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
0: a recent survey by Expedia, 61% of Canadians are planning a no-regrets trip now that travel restrictions are being lifted. Today, I've got a destination that will definitely leave you with no regrets. Miami is a city of many faces and a destination with something to please everyone, from those seeking nightlife and fine dining to those desperately looking for peace and quiet. I recently spent five days in Miami as part of a press trip and was joined by Karen Doradea from the Daily Hive, who covers the newest restaurants, foodie events, and latest food trends in Toronto, the country at large, and now Miami. She joins me to break down the foodie scene in Miami and share her thoughts on this constantly changing city. Welcome to the show, Karen. Hi, Candice. Thank you for having me. So we're back to reality. Uh, it's a little bit painful here with the gray skies <laughs> after sunny, sunny Miami. Was there anything that really surprised you about the trip? I definitely,
6: overall, <laughs> how everything went really smoothly, knowing how hectic, you know, traveling can be. And um, now with, you know, things picking up again. Um, I loved how smoothly it ran. And... um overall just the experience was, was really great i uh i've been planning to go to miami for a while and i suddenly had the opportunity and and you know these are things that i never really would have done myself um so alone just like the botanical gardens were stunning so those are things like you know you think of miami you think of nightlife um and I, I i never really would have gone out of my way to check out the gardens the butterflies everything everything was just Amazingly done!
0: I have to agree. I really had this sort of one-sided view of Miami, and this trip really opened up my eyes to all the other things there are to do there. It really is a multifaceted city. Uh, let's dive into the food, though, because that was a highlight of this trip for sure. Um, did you have sort of a favorite uh,
6: restaurant throughout the week that you you loved? So we checked out a couple, um, and I have to say, Zitsam in Coral Gables was really it, it blew me out of the water. It was um, an Asian cuisine, and um, the great thing about it is that their menu changes daily. So we, uh, I remember we had some um, some spring salad, uh, Korean style tartar, and I ordered one of these uh, shrimp noodle bowls, which just the flavor itself was fantastic. The environment, the the space that we were in was Incredible. I I think that's the one that stood out to me the most. But I mean, we've we tried a bunch of restaurants. That again, these are things that I never would have experienced if it wasn't for the Miami Land Press trip. Um, but yeah, I would say Zitsum was by far the best, and La Canita, which is a bayside marketplace, the one that we checked out um, on the Thursday, which beautiful views as well. Yeah. Those, I would say those two are my favorite ones.
0: <laughs> I have to agree on zitsum. I'm going to say that that one is absolutely in top 10 of the best places I have ever uh, eaten at. Uh, and I've been all over. So that one definitely stands out. I, I, I would make the trip back to Miami for that restaurant. <laughs> but uh, also, I, I think it's important. To, I really was surprised by how much I loved Schneble's, uh Winery. That was incredible. Uh, what did you think of
6: that? The wines themselves, um, we had the guava. Um, what were the other ones? We had some, some random <laughs> wines, avocado wine as well. Uh, again, these are things that like, I've never tried before. And it's always great to try and experiment new things. Um, they were really great. We, we had about five or six different wines that we tested out. It was just again sitting by the waterfall, sitting by all of the the green space, and and taking some wine, sipping on some wine it was really great. The flavors were amazing. I wish we had them here. The avocado wine was was pretty good. It's still it's something I'll remember.
0: Well, it's 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 interesting because not you know most of their wines are not made with grapes. They ha- do have two on the menu, but the rest is made with avocado and coconut and guava and passion fruit and things you would never think about for wine, uh, but absolutely stellar stellar flavor um let's talk about that instagram destination because people are always looking for those great uh, instagram places to eat and i gotta say i was really in love with the
6: restaurant at the selena oh the pink everything pink i love that that was the selena was aesthetically pleasing perfect for instagram the vibes, the bar, everything. I I was taken back. I took a couple photos of myself too. I'm Not gonna lie. <laughs> That's something I'm gonna upload soon. But um yeah, the Selena was gorgeous.
0: Yeah, I think the the well, the food there was was stellar too. So of course, you know, you don't want to dismiss the food, but the whole vibe there was great. And um I think what surprised me about the Selena is that it is in the middle of Brickell, which is a like a subdivision of Miami. It's a bit of a concrete jungle, but as soon as you walk through into that courtyard, it's like you're in a different world, isn't it?
6: I agree. I, it, it was sort of like you, you're getting away from the busyness of Miami, the downtown area, and you're sort of taking it away to like an oasis, um, something where just like every like-minded people are just hanging out um sharing a couple of appetizers some drinks um sitting by the pool I mean it it was sort of like out. I don't I don't even know how else to describe it it was it was just quiet and peaceful and you step away into the restaurant area and it's just exciting it's it's sort of like um an oasis yeah
0: it really is yeah, and I, went, I and we also had some, spent some time down in the Art Deco district, which was surprising. I had no idea there were actually so many Art Deco buildings. I really just thought it was one street, but it's it's huge. Eight hundred and fifty buildings, which is uh, amazing. But also they're all protected, which is really great uh, news as well. Uh, but what I love there for the foodie scene was uh, the timeout market, uh, the shakes that we had. We're insane, so good
6: <laughs> i I missed out on on uh getting a milkshake. I ended up getting uh one of the ice cream uh from one of the ice cream stops there um but yeah that that space is very handy if you're going in groups and are picky on what you wanna want to order what you wanna eat the, There's a little bit of everything peruvian food, Japanese cuisine um something for vegan vegetarian eaters um. Someone who has a sweet tooth. There, there's a little bit of everything there, and the, and the space itself is massive. Um, so you can't really go there and think you're not going to find something. You're always going to find something that you want to eat and that you want to try. So I that was by far one of my favorite places too. That was a good one.
0: Yeah, and I ha- and I think too as well what I really liked about it was that it was local um, chefs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's you're not going to find any big chain restaurants in in this timeout uh, marketplace. And it's all really authentic food on everything from, you know, Mexican to Asian cuisine, Um, you know, American food with burgers and and amazing milkshakes. Uh, So that was an incredible place. So now that you're back and you've had some time to sort of digest this trip, what would you tell people that they have to do in Miami?
6: Honestly, I think you just have to go out and and get lost in the city. You won't really get lost, but you'll you'll find something that you'll love. Um, it's really important to go out and explore and and see for yourself what Miami really has to offer. It's not just nightlife. It's not just the hustle and bustle. There's a lot of local restaurants, a lot of amazing cuisine, um, whether it be Cuban, whether it be you know American style food. I mean. It's just a city that you have to fully experience and just go out, go for a walk, see what you'll find. Um, I know in one of the hotels that we were at, it was right by um, the beach. And, you know, a few of us managed to go out and, and explore and, and see what the city, the area has to offer. So I think that's the one thing that we really or people who, exper- who want to go experience Miami really have to do is just get lost. Go in and enjoy yep, yourself. Yeah, I
0: agree. Yeah. Great advice. Get lost.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Get
6: lost,
0: yeah. So, Karen, okay, uh, you're obviously writing about this for the Daily Hive, so if people want to read your article
6: and connect with you, where can they do that? Um, so you can check out my article um, on dailyhive.com. Uh, it will be available on our dish section, um, national and you can also check us out on Instagram at Daily Hive, to or dailyhive. Uh, Twitter, Daily Hive, to as well. Um, or you can check me out on Instagram. I'll be sharing a post about it too. Karen Doradea. Um, and yeah. All right. Thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, I hope we get to
0: travel again, Karen. That was, uh, I'm telling you, traveling with a foodie is fun. I'm going to do that more often.
6: Oh, absolutely. It was one <laughs> of the best press trips. I've been. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Anne is joining us now with an interview with filmmaker Jennifer Bockwell on Into the Weeds, which tells the powerful story of Dwayne Lee Johnson, a former Bay Area groundskeeper who takes on Bayer, the multinational agrochemical corporation, after a terminal cancer diagnosis, allegedly caused by weed killers Roundup and Ranger Pro. Rockwell, an award winning Canadian documentary filmmaker, made this extraordinary documentary while taking extra care to protect Johnson, the crew, and herself.
4: Congratulations on opening Hot Dogs again, the only woman to have opened it twice.
1: Yay! Thank you. That's (laughs) really such an honor. We're so excited. Well, what a film!
4: We know that Monsanto has been in uh, sort of media crosshairs for a number of years, and it astounds me that they're still at it. Um, Now, you have a subject, Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne Lee Johnson, and he's very compelling. He's a groundskeeper who found himself doused once with Roundup, and it has terminal cancer. But he's very compelling. And so how did you find him?
1: Well, when we started this whole project, it was right on the heels of Anthropocene, like in in 2019, in the winter, when we were at Sundance, actually, with the film. And I learned of this trial, and I learned that there were going to be ongoing trials, and I asked friends who's documenting it? Somebody's got to do that. It turned out that nobody was. And so I met with all the executive, um, with the multi-district litigation executive group of lawyers and said, how do you feel about us covering this? And they all agreed. And then we met Lee. And Lee is not a he's not an outgoing guy he's he's a you know he's a family man as he says he's, he, he he doesn't want to be in the spotlight and yet something about him he knew he had to do it and as the bellwether case and you know what bellwether means it's like you know if this trial goes according to plan then all the other thousands will be able to be heard mm-hmm. and he knew that that was a huge responsibility and and I just said please let us tell your story and he did and he trusted us and I'm just so grateful he's an amazing person and you know we're I'm always thinking about the ethics of engagement with subjects because it's a, it's an aggressive act even just to put a camera in somebody's face right, right? so When we talked to him about this, he really opened up and some of the film scenes in the film that are a bit hard to watch. He wanted us to show those. He wanted us to show what it takes for him to get up in the morning just to start his day. Right. And it's hard to look at, but that's it's real. He was so brave to allow us to to record that and to tell his story. And I'm 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 deeply grateful for that.
4: Many people have Monsanto stories, but I mean, as you raise it in the in the documentary. His case was 15 million documents that they had to create a program for. The expense just over the top which is I guess why a lot of people have not come forward. You know there are cases pending but it seems it would be discouraging from the get-go to know what you're up against.
1: As we focus on Lee's story and that his story in the trial is the spine of the film but there we step back to the bigger picture. And part of that bigger picture is the limitations of mass torts as a tool of justice. Mass torts were thousands of plaintiffs often coming together against a large multinational corporation. And without the lawyers who take these cases on, on spec, um, spend millions of dollars, years of time to get them to go to trial, no no ordinary person would ever be able to take these companies um, uh, to to challenge them. And I think that that's the way that justice works in the United States. The limitation is that they're money damages only. So, you know, nobody's going to jail for this. There's not criminal charges. And I wonder why and also why are the regulatory agencies such as the Environmental Protection Agency or in the case of pharmaceuticals, the FDA, why are these these organizations that are meant to regulate these corporations not doing their job?
4: Well, it makes me think of that American phrase, depraved indifference. I mean, governmental. It just seems beyond belief. But I'm wondering if, as a result of your film and other media takes on on Bayer Monsanto, whether companies within the you know green movement, but just through Sheer idealism might become more humane with all of this coming out, and with with people actually being able to spot them and say, "Hey, this is wrong."
1: That's an optimistic perspective, and I hope you're right. That's a hopeful perspective. And what? Why did we make the film precisely for this reason—to create a historical record that wasn't a, you know, a transcript of the trial, right? Which right. Who, who's going to read that? But a historical record that is was comprehensible to ordinary people, including us, like learning that science, like the, the complexity of, of, of the evidence. And remember also, legally, who knows how they're going to react to us? And so we were extremely careful that every single claim made in the film yes. was a claim that was made in court and was backed up by evidence. And we had lawyers combing through every... Shred of footage that we wanted to use. Every fact that we state, all of our statistics, to make sure that they were true.
4: Congratulations, Jennifer! Another monumental achievement. Your films are just so moving.
1: Thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it going out into the world and stealing myself at the same time.
4: <laughs> exactly. Be safe. Look after yourself.
1: Take care. My cancer is called contagious T-cell lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's. Monsanto made a choice to not put a cancer warning on the label.
4: The common joke out in the country is that it's so safe you can drink it. I had upwards of seven
2: IVs. 10 bags a day. I had 20 um, treatments of radiation. Uh,
4: I lost 35 pounds.
3: Okay, man, I thought I was dead. It's got to stop.
4: I think
1: we've got to look
4: at these things from a bigger picture. You
1: are what you eat, you are what you breathe, you are what you're around, your environment. This is about food, this is about health, this is about the soil, this is about environment. This is not a Lee Johnson story. This is bigger than me.
3: With Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The
1: Region.
0: Have you ever heard of emotional flatlining? Me either. Which is why when I came across the expression, I immediately reached out to my friend Kelly Boss. Kelly is a psychotherapist focusing on individual marriage and family relationships. She is a well-known Canadian relationship expert and has appeared in a professional capacity on countless media markets and shows. And as a guest and writer, she joins me now to discuss emotional flatlining. Welcome back to the show, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me. So, I mean, I, I kind of think I know what flatlining is, but why don't you give us a definition?
7: My earliest experience of this idea was I had a supervisor, and uh, this was when I was in uh, early social work program, and he uh, would talk to, pa- to clients or patients where we worked and say, which line would you choose? And he would draw a series of three lines. So one would be kind of a wavy. Up and down, kind of a situation across the board. One would be very jagged, high highs, low lows. And the, the last one would be um just a straight line. And he would ask people, like, what which one do you wish you were experiencing right now? And sometimes the person would pick, and often sometimes, because of the just the state, and it was a, a program with mood disorder, so a lot of depression, anxiety, et cetera, and they would pick. The flat line. And then he would say to them, Well, that's, you know, if this was actually your heart rate monitor, that would be problematic. And so it kind of, you know, showed me at that time. And it was a good example, I think, to somehow how we want to cocoon, we want to kind of turtle in. And, but it would actually, it's not really possible unless, you know, basically we're dead. I mean, (laughs) you know, which was basically his analogy, right? And so, um, I think this is where people are feeling a lot right now. They're feeling a heaviness. Uh, there's just so much to feel about right now. You've come sort of out of COVID, but when we hear numbers increasing again, and you know the news of the absolute horrors and tragedies in the Ukraine, and then just so I think there's a collective thing that we're all feeling, and then also we all have our own interpersonal stuff. Like we have our own. You know, hits that are coming, and I, I think for a lot of people, it's just a lot, and people are finding it too much.
0: Yeah, I mean, I get that. I get that. There's, you know, we've been in fight or flight uh, for a while, and the the hits just keep on coming, and so you're almost praying for there to just be a nothingness, and it's not quite depression. <laughs> it's just you just don't want things to just nothing else to happen, please. Uh, but obviously. That is not going to happen. And resilience, if you are, have not been practicing it the last couple of years, um, I think it's probably a good time to start doing that, right? Practice on that resilience. So
7: what are some things we can do? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think this is, again, collective. Um, there's, there are things you can do. And I think part of it is getting enough rest. You know, it's like when you're ill, us. Uh, you know, physically ill, then you need to take some time to rest and recharge. We're not great at it, I think, as so I'm not great at it. Um, and you know, true rest and getting enough sleep. And so going back to those self-care basics, are you drinking water? Are you getting outside? Are you getting some exercise? Those kind of things can be really helpful. And although they seem obvious, they can be sort of the first on the chopping block sometimes. Well, there's a guilt that comes because we live in this we live in this crazy
0: society. Where we can sit and have discussions like this, very, you know, hey, you need to be doing this, but out of the other sides of our mouth, we're talking about hustle culture, and you got to move, and you can't, you know, got to make hey while well, the sun shines. Like we we live in that, so we we say it, but we don't, you know, it's like we we, what's the, we talk it, but we don't walk it, and that's where there's a disconnect, I think.
7: Yeah, absolutely, and I think we want to avoid the the. uh the low it's almost like the okay so if you've got the fight or flight up here and you've got the window of tolerance where we're operating pretty well we can think and feel at the same time pretty clearly and then that low below that hypo um, response where we're that you know i think is similar kind of akin to that underneath flatlining when we're in freeze to avoid that we do need to of course do the basics find the rest but also keep challenging ourselves It's just about doing that one small thing, maybe with taxes, you can't do the whole thing right now. So you take one step to say, okay, I'm just going to check out this one piece. Can I just print out my T4 (laughs) and then we'll go from there. It's not about taking on the world. So I think it is about taking on the little bits because I think that low level of, I don't want to do anything is very understandable, but it's not helpful because there are still things we have to get done and that are important. And again, just by baby steps. I did a recent post where I was talking about this biodome I read about, and they had this biodome where they had this uh, sim- this world created in it, and it had the perfect soil, the perfect temperature, you know, the perfect plants, everything was growing. They even had humans in it. But they found that after a little while, the trees were falling over, Um, And they would just grow to a certain height and then they'd fall over and the scientists were baffled. And part of that is because you need the wind and they didn't have any wind in the sphere. And I think that's also true of us. Like we do have to recognize that although the resilience piece comes through challenges that can be hard, there can be a lot gained out of that. And that's where we grow our roots and that's where we can, you know, face the challenges. I
0: love that. We need the wind. And, and the goal is not to, you know, yes, we want to lower the bar a bit, but we don't want to put it on the ground either. Uh, so uh, thank you for joining me today. This is great. I want people to be able to find you. You're always sharing this. It was actually your wind analogy that made me reach out to you about this topic. So, um, so where can people follow you on social
7: media and connect with you online? So you find me on Instagram at Kelly Boss Therapy, also at Talk Therapy Pod, or either of my practices, the of Mind and Body, or Couch, I think it's Couch Aurelia, on Instagram, and uh, certainly on my website, kellyboss.com. All right, Kelly, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. That's it for What
0: She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region.